0: The trumpets that's the chapters that are before us today revelation chapters 8 and 9 we're going to see the seventh seal opened and the blowing of the first of the trumpets the first six trumpets and these brought about three dramatic results but before we go into that i want you to see something because it appears that um, in revelation that the seventh seal is open and that issues forth the seven trumpets and then when the 7th trumpet is blown that issues forth in the outpouring of the bowls. And so we can see the same type judgments occur in the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments. When you compare chapters 8 and 9 with chapter 16 that you can see the trumpets and the bowls both show judgments over the earth, the sea, the rivers, the heavens, the tormenting of mankind, an army, and angry nations. So we have the same type judgments, but with the bowls, it increases in intensity. If you study Revelation closely, you see that the trumpets are a little bit more intense than the seals, and the bowls are even more intense than the trumpets. And so if you compare... Revelation 8, 1 through 7, with Revelation sixteen one and 2, you see the first of the trumpet judgments and the first of the bowl judgments are both against the earth. In chapter 8, verses 8 and 9, it's the sea, and that correlates with chapter 16, verse 3, with the bowl judgments. The rivers are struck in both judgments, chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, and chapter 16, verses 4 through 7. The heavens are involved in both judgments in chapter 8, verse 12 and 13, and chapter 16, verses 8 and 9. We see the tormenting of mankind in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, and in chapter 16, verses 10 and 11. And then we see an army in chapter 9, verses 13 to 21 and another army in chapter 16, verses 12 through 16. And then we see the anger of the nations in chapter 11, verses 15 to 19, and chapter 16, verses 17 to 21. So I wanted you to see these similarities before we go forward with our studies of uh, chapters eight and nine. And so we see that these judgments just remember this, we, we talked about this last week, that these chapters, chapters 6 through 9, is the first half of the tribulation. So the trumpet judgments is still the first half, the bowl judgments is the last half of the tribulation, and the last half of the tribulation is the wrath of God. Now, in a sense, all seven years is the wrath of God, but it intensifies in the last three and a half years. Revelation 14.10 and chapter 15 verse 7 both indicate that this last half is an intensified wrath of God. And as we study these trumpet judgments, notice the parallel of the plagues of Egypt. Now why would that be? Well, in effect, the world is going to be saying in this day, in the tribulation period, who is the Lord that we should serve him? And that's exactly what Pharaoh said. Remember when Pharaoh said that? Who is this God? I don't know him. Why should I serve him? And we've seen time and time again in the book of Revelation that even when God sends his wrath, even when God sends his judgment, the people will not repent. Even when we saw the sky receding as a scroll, and that mankind could see the Lamb on the throne, they did not repent. And so these trumpet judgments are going to look just like a number of the plagues of Egypt. Well, here's the outline. The opening of the seventh seal and the blowing of the first six trumpets brought about three dramatic results, and that's how these two chapters are outlined. We see preparation in Revelation 8, verses 1 through 6. We see desolation in chapter 8, verses 7 through 13. And we see liberation in chapter 9. All right, are you ready to begin? Let's look at preparation. Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. This is broken down into two points. Silence in verse 1. And supplication in verses 2 through 6. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, turn to Revelation chapter 8, starting with verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So they're ready to blow the trumpets. So we see silence in heaven. Isn't that an interesting thought to open our our session together? Because in chapter 7, verses 10 through 12, all of heaven had been worshiping. Verse 10 of chapter 7, And crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. All of heaven was worshiping him. All of heaven is praising God, worshiping the Creator, worshiping the Lamb, the Redeemer. And now we see in chapter 8, silence in heaven? Sometimes when I'm driving along, along in my car and I'm listening to a radio station, and the radio station, for some reason, goes off the air for a time, doesn't one minute seem like an eternity to you? When you just have a silence of a short time, it seems like forever before the sound comes back on. Can you imagine the scene going from praise and worship and honor and glory to God, all the elders, all the creatures, all the angels worshiping him, and then when that seventh seal is open, we have dead silence. Now, why would that be? Well, there's a, nobody really knows for sure. The commentators can guess, but they don't know. But here, here's really when you stop and think about it. What just happened? The seventh seal has just been opened. And what did we say that was? We said this was God's last will and testament for the earth. It was the title deed for the earth. It was the full and final judgment of the earth. So when that seventh seal was opened, That means God's total plan was revealed so all of heaven can see the full plan and they might have been awestruck. Whoa, what a plan. Whoa, what a God. Now we see what he's doing. Now we see the total plan and there was silence. And also it could be the lull before the storm. Now they know what's coming. They know judgment's coming. They know God's wrath is coming, and they are awestruck, and they're silent before him. So there's silence in heaven for about a half an hour. I want to direct you to a couple of verses in the Old Testament. Zephaniah 1.7 says, Be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. And what have we talked about? We're talking about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the seven-year tribulation period and the 1,000-year millennium. So be silent in his presence because the day of the Lord is at hand. Zechariah 2.13 says, Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. Do you think God in this instance is aroused? I think he is. He has just revealed his total plan. He's aroused. He's going to pour out his wrath on the earth. So be silent, all flesh, before the Lord. And Habakkuk 2.20 says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. So we have silence in heaven. And then we see the blowing of the trumpets. We know those angels are getting ready to blow the trumpets and so they're handed seven trumpets if you read numbers chapter 10 in the old testament you know that there were special occasions where trumpets were used in verses 1 through 8 of numbers 10 trumpets were used to call the people together in verse 9 they announced war and in verse 10 they announced special times So handing these seven angels, these seven trumpets, and don't you know seven is uh, very significant? It's complete. It's full. It's perfect. And so we have seven angels to blow seven trumpets, God's complete purposes, God's complete wrath and judgment. And so we know something special is going to happen because we can see that in the life of Israel. Jesus' voice was like a trumpet, The trump's going to sound before the rapture, so trumpets are very important. But before they start blowing the trumpets, we see prayer. Did you notice in this, when I read these first six verses, another angel, a special angel in verse three, has a golden censer and he stands at the altar and he was given incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. So you've got to know that the throne and the altar are related. What God do, what God does and the prayers of his people are related. The prayers of God's people are involved in the judgment he sends. You'll notice in Leviticus 16, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would put incense on the coals in the censer. He would carry the censer, has censer, and would have coals in there, burning coals from the brazen altar, and then he would put the blood, he would take the the coals in the censer and the incense with the blood of the sacrifice and enter the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the sins of the people on the Day of Atonement. But here the angel puts the incense on the altar and presented the prayers before God and then he cast the coals from the altar to the earth. And the parallel here is Ezekiel 10 that indicates that this is God's judgment that God is uh, exercising and executing his perfect judgment upon the earth. Now, it mentions here the prayers of all the saints. I don't believe this is just the tribulation saints, and you know that saints are not deceased people who did at least two miracles. Everybody who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus is a saint. Saint means set apart. And so it's important for us to know that it's all the saints, all believers. So there are prayers here from all believers. Well, I think the answer might be, what have many of us been praying for many years, in fact, for many centuries since Jesus prayed this prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And so God's ready to execute judgment. He's ready to answer prayer. He is ready to send judgment, to bring about his kingdom and his will. Because the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth, even if that involves judgment. Now, we, we must realize from this that true prayer is serious business. And when we say that the throne and the altar are related we need to make sure that we better not move the altar too far from the throne our prayers ought to be in sync we pray in jesus name we pray for what jesus would pray for we know god's heart we know god's will many times and we need to be praying in that way so we see silence and we see supplication in the first six verses of chapter 8. Now. Unfortunately, we have to move on with desolation in verses seven through 13. Now notice that the first four trumpet judgments are natural in that they affect the land and salt water and fresh water and the heavenly bodies. So we're gonna see desolation on earth in verse seven, desolation in the seas in verses eight and nine, desolation in the fresh water in verses 10 and 11, and desolation in the heavens in verses 12 and 13. So look in your Bibles at Revelation 8, uh, verse seven. The first angel sounded and hail and fire mingled with blood and they were thrown to the earth and a third of the trees were burned up and all green grass was burned up. Then the second angel sounded and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, So that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked, and I heard an angel, or an eagle, flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So we see the first four trumpets and their natural judgments. We see desolation on the earth in verse 7. Can you imagine this? Hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And as a result of that, a third of the trees were burned up and all green grass was burned up. That is amazing to me. Now you know from being in a hailstorm that they come along suddenly. So this is a sudden judgment. I will never forget the time that my brother and I were playing golf and it was a beautiful day that really it wasn't a rainy day. It wasn't a stormy day. It was a beautiful day and we were playing nine holes of golf and all of a sudden we teed off on the ninth hole heading for the clubhouse and I hit a really good drive right down the middle of the fairway and all of a sudden as we're putting our woods away and covering them up and put, picking up our golf bags, a hailstorm, all of a sudden, strikes, and it was ferocious. And you will never guess what size the hail was. That's right, golf ball size hail. So when we're running, walk supposed to be walking, but we were running because the hail was stinging our backs and stinging our heads, and we're trying to protect ourselves. All of a sudden, we have ten thousand golf ball sized hailstones in the fairway along with our two golf balls. Needless to say, we left our golf balls in the fairway and we went to the parking lot. But I'll never forget the suddenness of the hailstorm. We were not expecting it, and all of a sudden, it was all all over us. And that's the way this judgment's going to be. All of a sudden, there's going to be hail, and it's going to be vicious, And a third of the trees were burned up and all green grass was burned up. That reminds us of the seventh plague, hailstorm, seventh plague. And then we see desolation in the seas in verse 9. Something like a great mountain burning with fire thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. Can you imagine the desolation and the destruction? Now, this is a parallel to the first plague, when the river, all the water became blood in Egypt. You know that oceans make up three-fourths of the earth's surface. Can you imagine if a third of the oceans become blood? And John, a lot of times, says, becomes like blood or like this. He doesn't. He says, and a third of the sea became blood. Maybe all of the death, all of the destruction from some of these judgments, it's really going to be blood and the third of the sea will become blood and the third of the living creatures in the sea died. What kind of havoc will that cause? As of about 30 years ago, there were 25,000 merchant ships registered for commerce, economic activity. What if over 8,000 of those ships were all of a sudden destroyed? Can you imagine the economic destruction that this judgment is going to cause. And so we have desolation on the earth, and now we have desolation in the seas. And then in verses 10 and 11, we have desolation in the fresh water. When the third angel sounds, a great star falls from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers, so the fresh water, and on the springs of water. So we have desolation there and he mentions wormwood. The name of the star was wormwood and a third of the waters were wormwood. And that means bitter. Now that doesn't have a parallel with the plagues, but it does remind us when Moses uh, went to the waters of Merah and they were bitter and he had to throw a tree or a stump in the water to make the water drinkable. Well, this is the same scenario here. The wormwood makes the water undrinkable. Can you imagine if a third of the drinking water, we already have a problem with drinking water in our day, and now another third of the drinking water will be undrinkable, and that will cause all kinds of problems on planet Earth. And then in verses 12 and 13, we have desolation in the heavens the fourth angel sounds, a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, a third were darkened, and a third of the day didn't shine. Unbelievable. Can you imagine what that's gonna do to the growing season? When I lived in Wisconsin 25 years ago, I could never plant my garden until at least Memorial Day. And here in North Carolina, when I had my garden, I always planted it on the last Saturday of April, more than a month, a month before I could plant it in Wisconsin. And the growing season was always shorter. I mean, I would have to stop my garden because of the first frost came so much earlier. And so my garden in Wisconsin was totally different from my garden in North Carolina and Kentucky. Can you imagine if a third of the daylight goes away? Can you imagine the destruction on the growing season? How that's going to affect crops? All of these people who now can't plant because a third of the sun and moon are struck. And the moon, the moon affects the tides. We know what high tide and low tide at the ocean is because of the gravitational pull of the moon. Well, the moon's going to be affected and a third of the stars. And there are billions of stars. What kind of heavenly chaos is there going to be according to verse 12? Well, let me tell you before we go on. Let me give you two two different schools of thought about these judgments because I think you should know because I don't think anybody has the total answer. First of all, I always like to interpret the Bible literally. John, in some of these, says, sometimes it says, became blood. Sometimes it says something like a great mountain. So sometimes John is very clear that he's using symbols, and sometimes he's not. So it's very difficult sometimes to tell whether or not these are symbols or not. Many, many, many Bible scholars say there is no reason in this chapter not to interpret these judgments literally that we're talking about rivers and mountains and seas and drinking water and oceans and ships and fish and the sun and the moon and the stars. So it very well may be natural judgments affecting the land, salt water, fresh water, and the heavenly bodies. However, some believe that these are symbols. And I'll tell you why. Dr. Mark Kortz, in 1994, preached through the book of Revelation. And he knows what all of these great men of God think, that this is literal. But his, his interpretation was that the hailstorm was a sudden breakout of war. And that a third of the trees were burned up and green grass was burned up. And the green grass may speak of youth called to war. Now, I have a bit of a problem with that because it says all green grass was burned up. Does that mean all of the youth of the world were, were killed? And the mountain that he talks about, uh, that, that a great mountain in verse 8, Jeremiah 51 24 and 25 speaks of Babylon as a mountain, which is a very interesting passage because Jeremiah Uh, 51.24 says, And I will repay Babylon and all the inhabitants of Chaldea for all the evil they have done in Zion in your sight, says the Lord. Behold, I am against you, O destroying mountain, who destroys all the earth, says the Lord. And I'll stretch out my hand against you, roll you down from the rocks, and make you a burnt mountain. So he's talking about Babylon. And you know we're going to get in these later chapters in Revelation with Babylon. Babylon. We've got Babylon is a city and it's a system. So there may be something to that. So it may be this mountain is a power on earth that will collapse. It could be a meteor. We know that if a star hit the earth, that would destroy the earth because we know that our sun is just an average-sized star. So if any star hit the earth, we would be toast, literally and figuratively. Because you know from study in astronomy that a million earths would fit into the sun. So it can't be a total star hitting the earth, but it certainly could be, he says, something like a great mountain burning with fire. So it could be a piece of a star, a meteorite, God could really use anything he wants. And so he says that in um, verse 10, This is Dr. Kortz still, verse 10. A great star fell from heaven. And Dr. Kortz thinks that's a symbol for a great religious leader who is so well-known and he poisons the waters with apostate teaching because in the Bible, spiritual truth is symbolized by rivers and springs of water. And there will be preachers who are not preaching... Teaching and preaching the truth. And it's going to be poisoning. And he's going, to, um, he's going to be leading people astray. So this could be this could very well be a symbol of a great religious leader, because we saw in chapter one and in chapter two, Jesus has the stars of the seven churches in his hand. And these stars speak of pastor teachers. And that's why Dr. Quartz interprets it in this way. I wanted to give you both of those interpretations because really, I mean, you can choose one or the other. It's not gonna make it true. God knows what these verses mean. But it's very interesting to see, and and, and we really don't know. I tend to take these literally, that these are natural catastrophes, that God is gonna judge the earth, and he's gonna judge the oceans, and the seas, and the heavenly bodies, and the land, and it's gonna cause all kinds of pain. On, on planet Earth. Can you imagine the commerce and the mess that's going to happen whenever all of this happens and a third of the ships sink and all the a third of the fish are dying? It's an unbelievable judgment. there is desolation. But before we leave chapter eight look at verse 13 and I looked and I heard an angel a lot of translations say an eagle, flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. You know how I would paraphrase that verse? Is folks, you ain't seen nothing yet. He talks the four trumpets have sounded and this angel or eagle is saying these last three trumpets are woe woe woe. They are called the woe trumpets. It says Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. You know that at the beginning of human history heaven and earth were united, but then man fell, and now we are uh, the, the earth was judged. And so God is saying woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Now he's not saying this to on behalf of these people who are the 144,000 evangelists. He's really singling out people who live for the earth and for the things of the earth. He's saying if you're living for the things of this earth, you've got your faith and trust in the wrong things. Cuz you and I know as believers in Jesus that our hope is in heaven. Our savior is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, and our treasure should be in heaven. So when he sounds these last three trumpets, he is really targeting the earth dwellers who have not been born again, who are living for the things of this earth. Because at the beginning of human history, as I said, heaven and earth were united because Adam and Eve, our first parents, honored God and obeyed his will. But when Satan tempted them to focus on the earth, they disobeyed God. And ever since, there's been a great gulf fixed between heaven and earth. And this, however, was bridged when Jesus came to earth and died for the sins of the world. And so this angel or eagle is saying, there's three more trumpets, and it's woe, woe, woe. Well, let's turn to chapter nine. Chapter nine is a very interesting chapter because we see two armies, In verses 1 through 12, we see the army from the pit. And in verses 13 through 21, we see the army from the east. Let's first of all look at these first 12 verses. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Verse 5. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and they were sting- there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. And they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Well, let's take a look at this army from the pit. It's, it's pretty apparent that this these are really not locusts because when you look at chapter nine and you see that you see a star, this apparently is a fallen angel, a star fallen from heaven. And this most likely is Satan himself. And isn't it a great comfort because Satan doesn't have the key to anything. We've already seen Jesus has the key to Hades and death. Satan doesn't have access or authority in any of any area unless God gives it to him. And in verse 1 it says to him Satan was given the key to the bottomless pit. And so Satan is allowed access and authority over the bottomless pit and he opens it. And smoke rises. And so the sun and the air were darkened. Doesn't that just, isn't that foreboding? The darkness and the, the stench and the just the desolation that we can see coming out of this bottomless pit. Because he's going to be judging the earth now. God, this is a woe trumpet. And so he's going to unleash whatever or whoever is in this bottomless pit. And John speaks of them as locusts, but I believe that they are fallen angels. And I'll give you two scripture references uh, to back that up. First of all, Jude, verse 6. Jude 6. Jude's only got one chapter, so it's verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness For the judgment of the great day and so the scripture is telling us is that some angels have not been free to roam around planet earth they have not been doing satan's bidding all of these centuries they have been reserved in chains for judgment maybe just maybe that god is allowing them this time to be released from the bottomless pit so that they can do what god wants them to do and fulfill god's purposes The second scripture is 2 Peter 2 4. 2 Peter 2 4 says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. So here again, all the fallen angels haven't been roaming around all this time. And so this angel, this, this angel, this star fallen from heaven, Satan, the fallen angel, and remember Jesus in Luke. Uh, and he mentions this Luke eight thirty one, and he mentions it in Luke 10 as well and that is that I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven so he's a star fallen from heaven and he opens this bottomless pit and these locusts like figures come out now I've taught Revelation a number of times and the last few times I've taught it many people who want to try to label or to describe these locusts here's what they say that these locusts sound like warlike helicopters we call them black hawk helicopters in our day because they have they're plated and smoke comes out of them and they can sting and all of that you know the the I, I, I don't get that, From they had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. And so therefore they take this, that these are loud, these are powerful, they can fly. And so John's trying to describe a helicopter in AD 95. Many people believe that. I do not. I simply think because these this army is released from this bottomless pit. I believe that these are simply demonic beings. These are those angels that were reserved for judgment. I cannot explain how they look, having hair like women's hair, teeth like lion's teeth, their crowns like gold, faces like men, tails like scorpions. But we know they're really not locusts because what do locusts normally do? Locusts attack vegetation, These locusts are said, you can't attack vegetation, so they're not going to act like regular locusts. So don't harm the grass, don't harm any green thing or any tree, but only torment people who don't have the seal of God. Now, most Bible commentators agree that the 144,000 who have been sealed are safe from this torment, and so are anybody else who have responded. Remember in the chapter 7, we saw the sealed Jews and the saved Gentiles? Well, most people agree that God would protect both the sealed Jews and the saved Gentiles, that he's only tormenting the inhabitants of the earth who were living for the things of the earth. And they're living for earth. And so therefore, this Army is going to torment them for five months, which oddly enough is the lifespan of a regular locust. Do you know anything about scorpion stings? Scorpions can sting people and can even kill a small child but if you are if you are stung by a scorpion, it is great pain and great torment, and you are writhing around in pain and The interesting thing about this is. These people are hurt and they can't do anything about it. Verse six, they'll seek death and they won't find it. They'll desire to die and death will flee from them. They can take a bottle of pills, it won't matter. They can take a gun, it won't kill them. They can jump off a building, they won't die. They will be tormented for five months. And so this army from the pit, Can you not believe why the angel or eagle said, whoa, because this is gonna be a terrible judgment on the earth dwellers who are living for the earth and for the things of the earth. Now, whether they are helicopters or locusts or demonic beings, God is using these locust-like figures for his purpose. And I simply believe because they're in the bottomless pit because Satan has the key, because of this smoke that rises from this pit and covers the sun and causes all kinds of problems. I just believe these are demonic beings. And locusts, regular locusts, don't have a king. But this king has a name. There is a king over this pit. And his name is Abaddon and Apollyon. And he. It must be Satan, and in both Greek and Hebrew, those words mean destroyer. Who else would you, f- who else would fit that? Because Jesus called him a liar and a murderer who only seeks to destroy. And so Jesus aptly labeled Satan, and this, these two names in Hebrew and Greek both say this is Satan. So the army from the pit inflicts torment for five months now let's look at the army from the east in verses 13 to 21 look at verse 13 then the sixth angel sounded and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates so the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was two hundred million. I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulphur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone by these three plagues a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents having heads and with them they do harm. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues Did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. What a disturbing picture this is from this army from the east. The sixth angel sounds. He heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which most likely is the altar of incense, and that is where the prayer is lifted. And he says here to the sixth angel, release the four angels who are bound. Now that tells you right there that these are fallen angels because good angels would never be bound by God. Why at the great river Euphrates? Well, you know the great river Euphrates is mentioned in Genesis. That's the cradle of civilization. That's got something to do with Babylon. So these people are in a place where civilization started, where Babylon is close by. These are fallen angels and God says, let them loose because they've been prepared for just this time. And they were let go to kill a third of the earth. If you've been keeping score, you saw earlier, in an earlier chapter, one-fourth of the world's population died. And now another third of the world's population died. Now, right now, the day in which we live is the year 2010. There are six billion people on the earth. I'm hoping a third of those people are born again, genuine believers in Jesus. That God will rapture when the church is taken up to meet him in the air. If that's the case, if a third of the people are raptured, out of six million people, a third, that means two million people will be taken. That means four billion people. 4 billion people will be left on planet Earth. From just these judgments so far, that means 2 billion people will die in these judgments. And so these four angels who were prepared for this time led an army of four of 200 million horsemen. Now, who are these people? Who, are, who is this army? I do not think this army is talking about China. I believe, again, that this is a demonic army. It just simply doesn't mean um, that this is 200 million soldiers or humans. The emphasis in this paragraph is not really on the riders, but on the horses. And the description can't fit war horses as we know them or modern warfare equipment such as tanks. So this really probably is not a literal army. And so I believe this is a demonic army headed by these four fallen angels. All of them are bound today by God and they cannot act until God gives them a permission. So isn't that interesting? God is going to wait until just the right time. That gives you great comfort that nothing happens unless God wants it to happen. So in these trumpets, the fifth and sixth trumpets. We have the army from the pit and the army from the east. The army from the pit torments, the army from the east kills. And a great number of people are killed. So that one third of mankind in this judgment and with the previous one fourth, one half of the world population that is on the planet around this time after the rapture have died. Well, we've now worked our way through the first six trumpets. We will have a couple of interluding chapters, some parentheses chapters, some informational chapters. So we won't get to the seventh trumpet yet. We have some information that we have to cover. Now, my question to you is, can there be any application in these chapters? My aim always as a Bible teacher is the application of the Word of God. And even though these two chapters speak of destruction, desolation, torment, and death, there's still application. Now consider these three words. Consider God's justice, his mercy, and his grace. That is our application from these two chapters. Because what if God was to execute his justice. What would happen? Everybody would be killed. Everybody would die. The total earth would be burned up. I've heard people say, when I get to heaven, all I want is justice. Friend, you don't want justice because if God gives you justice, you will get death because we need to pay for our sin, and God's justice demands that there be a payment for sin, and if we simply ask for justice, we'll get death. But God, in His grace, gives us something that we did not deserve, and that's Jesus. God's mercy doesn't give us what we do deserve. God's justice is what is just. God is holy and righteous and just, and He must Have a payment for sin. So make sure you got those definitions right. Mercy is not getting what we deserve, and grace is getting what we don't deserve. I always think of the game show Deal or No Deal. I love game shows. And in Deal or No Deal, there was, if you saw the game show, it used to be in primetime, it's not anymore. They used to open briefcases, and you could win a million dollars. And if you opened up a lot of cases and you were got low amounts out of the way, they would offer you money. Sometimes after playing for 30 minutes, the show would offer the contestant $300,000 for 30 minutes' time on a game show. And the family supporters who were in attendance would say, Don't take that deal. You deserve more. And every time I watch that show, every time a family member or a friend would say, you deserve more, my thought is always, no, you don't. You deserve death. All of us deserve death. None of us deserve God's mercy or grace. We deserve God's justice. But did you notice in these chapters as we read them, he didn't say all of the sea, all of the ocean, all of the trees, all of the fish, all of the living creatures. The predominant fraction is one-third. One-third of the trees were burned up. A third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. A third of the ships were destroyed. A third of the rivers... A third of the waters became wormwood, a third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars. Do you catch the the drift here? Do you catch the, the importance of this? This shows us God's mercy. Even though God is judging the earth, even though he's pouring out his wrath on the earth, we still see God's mercy. God is still giving them a chance to repent. He gave Pharaoh a chance to repent. Pharaoh saw all of the plagues. He had a chance to repent, but he hardened his heart. And even though God uh, owed justice to Pharaoh, he showed his mercy by not executing justice, boom, and it's over. He let him see God's hand at work, God's mercy and God's grace. And so God is judging the inhabitants of the earth, but he's also showing his mercy and his grace. I cannot get away from that as I read chapters 8 and 9. Let me end this by giving you an application from Dr. Kortz from years ago. This is my favorite example of God's justice, mercy, and grace. When Dr. Kortz's son John was about 11 or 12 years old, Dr. Kortz bought him a very small motorcycle. It was a 125cc Honda. He just wanted his son to be able to experience this before he got to the age where he could drive and want a real motorcycle. But Dr. Kortz said, as he lived on a dead-end street, he says, John, you can ride this in the driveway, and I'll even allow you to ride it on a dead-end street, but I don't ever want to see you ride that motorcycle on Peacehaven Drive and the day that I see you on Peacehaven Drive, I'm going to immediately sell that motorcycle." So one day when Dr. Quartz was leaving his office, he saw a familiar looking motorcycle and a familiar looking body with a familiar crop of hair riding on Peacehaven Drive. He drove up, told John to pull over and said, "John." You were never supposed to ride on Peacehaven Drive on this motorcycle. And John said, Dad, I was hoping that you weren't in your office right now. I didn't see your car, so I, I didn't know you were there. He said, John, go home immediately, and I'm going to give you 10 whacks with a belt. Well, John went home, and so he had willingly and voluntarily disobeyed the will and instruction of his father. And so justice was due. Dr. Quartz had told him, I will sell the motorcycle and give you 10 whacks with the belt. That's justice. He deserved it because he disobeyed the word of the Father. Well, Dr. Quartz went upstairs to administer justice. And he took out his belt. And after two whacks, John started crying And after four whacks, Dr. Kortz started crying. And I know that you've probably told this to your children, if you have children, that this is going to hurt you more than it hurts me. And that's really, really true. And a lot of people scoff at that, but it's true. And especially, it's true for you grandparents. You will absolutely understand what I'm saying here. You hate it when you have to discipline your children. And you hate it worse when your grandchildren are disciplined. But after four whacks, Dr. Kortz is crying and he stops after six whacks. Now, he sold the motorcycle, but he stopped after six whacks. He did not give John everything that was due him. That's mercy. John didn't get everything he deserved. He deserved to lose the motorcycle, and he deserved to get 10 whacks with a belt. Mercy says don't give him what what he deserves. Well, you know, children, How 30 minutes later, they forget all about the punishment. And about 30 minutes later, Dr. Quartz is downstairs and John comes bopping down the steps. And Dr. Quartz says, how you doing, John? He says, well, great, Dad. Dr. Quartz says, John, you like those thick chocolate milkshakes at Dairy Queen, don't you? He says, I sure do, Dad. He says, why don't we go get one? So they got in the car and Dr. Quartz drove John to the Dairy Queen where he enjoyed a thick, chocolate-delicious milkshake. Not very long after he had violated his father's will and flat disobeyed his father's will, justice demanded, sell the motorcycle, give him ten wax with a belt. Mercy said, don't give him what he deserves, only give him six wax." And grace says, Give him what he doesn't deserve, a chocolate milkshake. Is that not like God? God's justice demands that you and I spend eternity in the lake of fire. That is what we are due for our sin because you and I were born sinners. God's justice demands payment. And so if it's up to justice, we're doomed. But God's mercy allows us not to spend eternity in the lake of fire. He's not going to give us what we deserve because he has extended his grace to us, giving us what we do not deserve. Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died on a cruel Roman cross, paying for your sin and my sin. So we don't get what we do deserve. We get what we don't deserve, and that is eternal life with him amen and amen aren't you glad so even in these two dark chapters of desolation and torment and death we see god's hand they deserve justice god's still allowing them his mercy and grace but as we close out chapter 9 it says here verse 20 the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues. Wouldn't you think that when these plagues came upon all these people that they would say, Oh God, I repent. I'm sorry for my sin. I see your hand of judgment. Have mercy on me. Verse 20 and 21 says they didn't repent. That they're still going to worship demons and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood. And those idols can't see or hear nor walk. So instead of worshiping the one and true and holy God, they're going to worship things. And they didn't repent of their murders and their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Look at that lifestyle, verse 21. And that word sorceries, That's where we get our English word pharmacy so drug use will be rampant. I think 50 years ago, people had no idea of what drug use would be like in the 21st century. You and I understand this. People 25 or 50 years ago did not. So God's judging. He's showing mercy and grace, but man is not responding. That blows me away. But as you see their response, what about your response? They responded poorly. They did not repent. They did not worship God. They worshiped things and kept up with their murder and their theft and their immorality and their drug use. What about you? What is your response to God's offer of mercy and grace? Ephesians 2:8-9 says, It's by grace we're saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's not of any works, lest any man should boast. So what about you? As we go forward in Revelation, I just want you to see what's going to happen on planet Earth. It's going to be desolation, destruction, torment, and death. But God is still showing mercy and grace in the midst of his wrath and judgment. Next week we'll see the mighty angel with a little book in chapter 10 and then we get into chapter 11 which is about the two witnesses and we'll talk about who those witnesses might be. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Lord, these are are really disturbing chapters that people won't turn to you even in the grave hour of judgment and wrath. But Lord, we pray that you would continue to touch hearts and change lives day by day by day. Lord, make us salt and light in the world in which we live. We live in a dark world, but we know that instead of justice, your offer is still mercy and grace. We thank you for that. We thank you that we can see your hand of mercy. We can see your offer of grace in these chapters as dark as they may be. So Lord, teach us the application that you have for us and allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and lives to glorify you and to grow in our walk with you. That is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.